I'm Stephen John Drew from the official GunnaGeek.com show, a weekly geek news podcast that is a part of the Gunna Geek Network, just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned, and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other awesome geeky shows at GunnaGeekNetwork.com. Welcome to episode 268 of Better Podcasting. On this show, we give you our annual podcasting gear updates. In this week's Better Podcasting Download, we talk about podcasting through December. And finally, in this week's Better Podback, we round up some of the final feedback of 2022. Lauren, start the show now for the last time in 2022. This is Better Podcasting. We are hobby podcasters through and through, just like you. That's why we are different. We minimize the money talk so that you can focus on building a better podcast. Welcome to an all new episode of Better Podcasting. I am Steven and with me, of course, is the fantastic SP. It's great to be back with you for another week of Better Podcasting, the final podcast of 2022 for us on Better Podcasting, my second, my penultimate podcast for 2022 for me personally, and I love this episode. It's going to be awesome because we're going to talk about gear stuff. This is this is what we do every year. We talk about gear things, and we'll get into that in a minute. Um, but before we get into that, I just want to mention Hey, yeah, there will not be not be a show next week. So there will be no show next week just because we take a bit of time off in December and we'll probably come back to that in the Better Podcasting download. But the next episode of Better Podcasting that we'll record, we'll record on Wednesday, January 4th, 2023 with the release on the following Sunday of January 8th. So that should be when we kick back up. And hey, if you didn't check the episode where we came back and talked about better podcasting, January is is the the final month of season two of better podcasting before we change for a couple months to the better podcasting live chat. If you got questions about that, why don't you come over to our Discord server at betterpodcasting.com slash Discord, and we can link you all the details there. But yes, we are going to talk about gear today. And this is something we started years ago when we first started better podcasting. The idea being that we have evolved our gear over time, and this just happened that we did a gear arc, a series of podcasts talking about the evolution of our gear. And the idea was that we wanted to hammer home the idea that as a hobby podcaster, don't go out and blow all your money right away. Build up in time if you want to do that. You don't have to do that. You can build up with time, and that's why we did that. And that just happened to fall around the end of the year. And then people loved it so much that we made it an annual tradition. And as you might have guessed, this year was a little light on the gear purchasing for me. So we're doing a two-in-one again. And we're going to start off with SP because he has had quite the change in his podcasting gear association of peripherals. <laughs> yeah, but before I start, I just want to reiterate in footstop something that Steven said is we did both have humble beginnings with our podcast studios. We didn't have our what you might consider to be elaborate studios back when we started. And that's part of why we started in 2015 to do that gear segment is to show our evolution of gear, where we started from and where we are today. And the reason that I'm saying that is my studio has radically changed again here in 2022. And I've been out talking in different forms about it. 
And one of the feedback is like, wow, that's, that's really expensive. That's really, that's beyond my means. I, I always go back to, well, I didn't start here. I started with a $20 microphone and a $40 mixer and, and that's it. That's what I started with. And we got here today from there by modifying our setups a little bit at a time. Now, granted, 2022 was a big upgrade for me all at once, but we've done a little bit of a time to get where we are today. And even though my podcast setup is a lot more elaborate, I would say now than it was at the beginning of 2022, it was from just a few key items changing, which enabled some other things to change along the way. So, Stephen, would you agree that we have evolved a little bit of a time every year? Absolutely. And even somehow, not podcasting most of the year, I've evolved a little bit. All right. So we'll start with my first upgrade of the year, which is actually something that somebody else gave me or enabled me to get. I actually purchased it. But in the pandemic, since 2020, getting components for a computer, especially graphics cards, has been difficult. Not so much at the end of 2022, but back up to the beginning of 2022. And you had to get into a lottery to win your chance at buying a graphics card from places like Newegg or Best Buy or wherever, right? And I tried a couple of times because that was my linchpin. That was my next item that I wanted to upgrade because I was doing 4K video editing and I never found one. Well, finally, in the March-April timeframe, I had a good friend of mine who also is a podcaster. He knew I was looking for one and he say, hey, SP, I have one. Do you want it? And I was like, well, heck yes. And it was no skin off of his back because he had a good graphics card. He didn't need it. And if I didn't take it, he would resell it on the market and probably make some money. So he actually probably lost some money giving it to me, but I gave him full value for it. And it was a EVGA GeForce RTX 3070 FTW3 Ultra Gaming. Now, at the time, I probably would have preferred a 3070 Ti. That was like my goal, but I would have taken a 3080 and I definitely took this 3070 FTW3. It was a noted increase from the GTX 1060 that I had in my system. So I, I knew I wanted a better graphics card. I got that and then I was like, okay, how am I going to integrate that into my system? Now, I had a pre-built system that was made in 2015. I bought it used in 2016. It was a refurbished used model, and it was a HP pre-built, which if you know anything about pre-built gaming machines, they're not all that, meaning, yes, they have some performance to them. They're robust to a, a certain extent. They're difficult to break, but they're difficult to break for a reason because the components have limitations on them. One of the components that I had a limitation on it was the power supply. I checked into the power supply and it was supposed to be a 500 watt, but when you looked at the specs, it actually came in lower than that. I, I forget the exact specs, but it was like 415 or 450 or so, something like that. And if you take a look at the pro, you, there's websites out there that you could put in your processor and your graphics card and in the key components to your PC, and it will tell you 
what size of power supply you needed. And it said, you could do it with a 500. We recommend a 600, but you could do it with a 500. So I was like, okay, this is clearly not going to work because my power supply is actually, even though it's supposed to be 500, it's rated less than that. I need a new power supply. So I went out and I bought and I ordered over Amazon, I believe it was a Corsair RM850X, which is 850 watts. So that gave me a little headroom to grow in the future if I wanted to change out components. Like if I wanted a new, better graphics card, I might have a shot at just getting the new graphics card and not changing anything else. So I got that. Oh, and St- I'm talking to Steven this entire time. Steven had, was not podcasting back then, but we were talking regularly. And this was the one thing that we were talking about because Steven had just built a computer. I want to say the year before, but maybe it was two years prior to that. So you had 2020. Okay. So you had some recent experience. I was also talking to uh, SP's beard. I believe it is on the discord. Sorry, Jason from smoking and drinking in space. He's got some computer building expertise and Rob over there as well. So I was talking to several people about this and I was getting some advice because I hadn't built a machine since I built my son, a machine, uh, back in the 2014 timeframe. So I get the power supply and the graphics card. And I take a look at the case that I have that pre-built as the HP case. And I was looking at, are these components going to fit? And I actually got out, and I believe I sent Steven some of these pictures. I actually got in my tape measure out. And I was like, okay, it'll fit. Yeah, it fits, but the airflow was just horrible in it. So I was thinking, this thing is going to burn itself up because it, if I run it full bore, it's just going to get hot in this case is small and it doesn't have proper airflow. The case was probably built in 2014. It wasn't optimized for the modern airflow that you need for the three series or four series graphics cards and the 12 or 13 series Intel processors and that sort of thing. So I'm like, I need to look at a bigger case. So I looked in, I did some reviews and honestly I did, I was a little vain and I wanted something that would look cool. So I went with something that was a glass case so I could look into it and see what it was doing, but also something that tested out pretty good in the terms of airflow and keeping things as cool as they could. So I went with the Cooler Master Mastercase H500M. There is a lot of Cooler Master H500s. This has the glass sides. It has a mesh front, which you can also do a glass front, but I went with the mesh front on it and it enabled a lot of airflow. So then I got into, I'm going to have to take this board out of this old case and put it in this new case I'm like, I don't know if it's going to fit. And it probably would have. I forget what the other constraints were, to be honest with you, but I kept on talking back and forth to everybody. And then I just finally came to the determination that my computer was made in 2015. It's 2022. I probably need an upgrade anyway. I'm not going to be able to upgrade to a Windows 11 when that becomes mandatory on my old system. I was one processor off. I had a seventh generation, I believe i7 processor from intel which i wouldn't have been able to upgrade to windows 11 so i'm like okay i'm going to get a new processor so i did the comparisons between amd and intel i settled on an i7 1270k but that wasn't available when i went to go purchase but what was available at a discount because the 1270 wasn't available was the i9 1290k which was the top of the line intel processor so i'm like okay 
you tied my hands behind the, my back. I guess I'll get it, which was a downfall that we'll talk about later. I got four sticks, a 16 gigabyte DDR5 Corsair Dominator memory. I went with an MSI MPG Z690 ATX motherboard. And then for the cooling, that was the downfall that we're going to talk about because I wanted to go with air cooling. Stephen recommended that I go with air cooling. And I agree with that because I want to keep this for longer than three years. I want to keep it for five, seven years or however long I can actually keep it. And if you go with a liquid cooler, you're probably going to have to replace that in three years or you run the risk of it leaking and then ruining everything in your case or leaking out or boiling off and just getting hot and then ruining your components because it's not cooling down your components. So I tried a Noctura NHD15S and that worked, but I'm like, it is running hot. Now it was running hot for a reason because there was no limits in the BIOS. This is all stuff that I would have thought about had I built a computer recently, but it had been at least six years since I built a computer. So I was like, okay. So I went into the BIOS and I capped the Intel chip in the BIOS, which is on the motherboard down to the recommended specs by Intel. And I was finally able to regulate that temperature down to a reasonable level. Basically, it was bordering on 100 degrees Celsius, the temperature of the 12900K processor. That's a bit much. That will boil the processor. Those 12th generation Intel processors are known to have heat issues. So you really need to look at extreme cooling options with them. I did order an EK Elite 360 millimeter DRGB cooler, a liquid cooler. It has six fans on it. It's one of the top rated coolers out there. The problem is that it doesn't come with the bracket for the 12th generation Intel processor. And it's in Europe. So I ordered this bracket. It comes via DHL or tries to. It gets lost in my local town at the DHL processing plant for weeks. And I'm like, screw it. I'm no, I'm going to return it. So I ended up returning it because I never got the bracket. Well, after I returned it, the bracket came about two weeks later in a mangled package. The bracket was fine, but the package was mangled. So I was like, yeah. Oh, well, at least I have the bracket if I ever want to go use it again. But I decided not to use the liquid coolant because I was able to go in the BIOS and get it to work properly. I rendered some 4K video on the computer. It was within acceptable norms. Now, could I game all day on it? No, probably not. Or if I did, I'd have to shut it down overnight just to cool it off. And if I was in a hot room like Steven gets during the summer because he doesn't have air conditioning in his house because he lives in Canada, but it still gets hot up there, like 80 degrees, I'd probably have to monitor the temperature quite a bit and probably not render during the day. Probably have to do that sort of stuff. But since I have air conditioning here, it kept up with it at this past summer to the point where I'm okay. But it is a concern of mine, the cooling on there. All right. I know a lot of you out there are like, I don't care about building an, a PCSP. <laughs> I, I just, uh, this is not the podcasting stuff that I need to hear about. Well, okay. For some people, having a gaming PC is paramount to their streaming and their podcasting. And some people go the Mac route. They have an M1 processor and an M2 processor in there. So they use that instead. But you have to have the computing power 
that is capable of keeping up with how you're podcasting. If you use a Chromebook, you can podcast with a Chromebook, but you have limitations on there, depending on what kind of memory you have on there, depending on what kind of processor you have on there. If you have an older Mac, you're going to run into problems with 4K video rendering, just like I was. So you have to think in terms of upgrades. And as we've said before on here, my recommendation, if you're using a computer, you have to look at upgrade for podcasting. You have to look at upgrading that anywhere in the three to five year realm. And since my machine was built in 2015, I purchased it in 2016, it was 2022, it was overdue for a refresh. So that's what I did with my podcasting PC. Steven, you have any questions about that? No, I think that though, what I will chime in is that if you are one of those people that were listening to that whole computer breakdown and you were so excited about it, come to betterpodcasting.com slash discord because we got lots of other people in there that just were having so much fun that they some of them listen to the show, some of them don't. But when SP was going through all of this, there was so much fun, lively talk to do with him building his his computer. And other people have since had similar conversations. And we'd love to have you over there to discuss that further because we got lots of people who love talking computer tech. So that was going to be my upgrade for 2022. And originally last year, I listened to the gear episode. I said, I'm going to get a new microphone. But because I got the new video card that precluded everything and I got a new computer. well. A month later, I'm not kidding you, a month later, Rode came out and they said, we've got the Rodecaster Pro 2. And I looked in on that and I did my research and I saw the specifications. And one of the main reasons that I had not bought the original Rodecaster Pro or the Tascam Mixcast 4 or the Zoom family, the L8, the P8, one of the reasons I didn't buy any of that was because of the shortfalls that they had. Now, the Rodecaster Pro original, I didn't buy because I was worried about the preamps. Well, everybody that got a test model that was talking about it at the time said, these preamps are phenomenal. They put it through the paces and everything. I'm like, that's it. That's the one I want. Then it's only got four inputs because remember, I'm coming from a 16 channel Mackie Pro FX 16 V2. So I lost some channels. But I'm like, okay, well, I think I can make do with this. So I ordered it right away when I could in late May of 2022. It didn't ship until late June 2022. And I'll be honest, I bought it from Suitwater. I did purchase it. Road did not give me anything. I ordered it and it came in late June. So thank you very much to Sweetwater, by the way. They put me at the top of the list for their second round of shipping that they did. So thank you very much to Sweetwater. Now, why did I get this? Even though it's $700, why did I get this? Well, it took the place of two DBX286Ss, my Mackie Pro FX16V2, and my Zoom H6. If you do a cost analysis, I actually made out. Like if I had to replace all of that, which I was on the verge of needing to replace all of it, why? My Zoom H6 had developed a crack in the case around it, and I was possibly running to, into an issue with a track or two on it. My Mackie had lost a channel and I think a second channel on it was going. And the DBX2A6Ss, I was wondering if I was starting to hear some artifacts from those as well. So I was going to have to replace them anyway. 
$200 each for the 286Ss, that's $400. The Mac E Pro FX16 V2 is like in the $500 range, and the Zoom H6 is in like the $300 range. So I actually saved money by purchasing the Rodecaster Pro 2 versus getting uh, all of those. Also, I had a Behringer compressor that was in the mix. So the Rodecaster Pro 2 does the digital processing on board, and I was able to replace all of that. So I was ecstatic. I got it. It took some learning. I have some shortfalls with it. First of all, I don't think it gives enough gain to the recording channels. I talked about this before on the Better Podcasting Chats with SP. I did an entire episode on my uh, upgrade to this. So that is one of the reasons I am having to run the channel that I'm talking into with the fader almost all the way up to get a reasonable recording volume on the track so I don't have to boost it too much in post. So that's one of the things. Another thing that we talked about last episode was my sound pads. When I boot it up, there's two of them, one in particular, but there's two of them that will just start playing for no reason whatsoever. And it's very difficult to get them to stop playing. So I'm like pressing them down. It's not a switch or anything. It's just like a, a pressure sensitive thing or whatever. So I'm pressing them down, trying to get them to stop. And I even tried an experiment once, which I'm not going to duplicate right now while we're recording because I'm using it to record. I have the actual top for it, the case, the dust cover for it right here. If I turn it on with the case on and it starts going off, those two sound pads start going off, the air pressure from me just pushing down on this cover affects, it starts to stop the sound pads. So it's just very sensitive and possibly going bad. And if it does go bad, I hope it happens during the warranty period because I don't know what to do with it if it doesn't stop because there's no way to manually turn it off. So that's a concern I have. And then we also talked about Josh Liston's issue last time around. And also Jason from the wrestling podcast, he also said that he had issues with the monitoring. And I guess I have the same issue, although I didn't really think I did. So there are some bad things, but there's a lot good with this. First of all, the preamps are amazing. The fact that you can assign the outs to all of the different ways that you can get audio out of this through the four different headphones differently through the USB. There's two USBs and each USB has the option to do a, a mix minus back, basically a chat. It is great for streamers. In my opinion, it's great for podcasters. You might think it's expensive, but again, if you're taking the place of several of those items that I talked about, if you want to get that processing real time like we do on better podcasting because we stream as we record then this becomes a great option the zoom p4 is also a great option but it doesn't allow for processing so i think this was the very thing that i needed at the time i wish i would have had it earlier i wish it was the fir very first thing that i ever bought really because i wouldn't have needed to upgrade to anything else except for when i needed to refresh it now, Stephen, you have some concerns about Rode. One of the things is the original Rodecaster Pro is no longer supported. So eventually, I'm thinking the maybe. same thing is going to happen with this. Maybe. And the reason I say maybe is because that is part of the issue. And, and that's why I wanted to throw that in there. They didn't announce it. They didn't announce anything. They've just stopped talking about it, stopped working about it. And we've had some chats in our Discord server about that. And there's some people who have taken the opinion that, well, 
per tech year, you know, a, a couple of years is sort of standard. But I, I think that this is different when you're looking at it being audio gear. I think there's a long history of audio gear that has any form of updatability uh, being updated for a long time. We've seen that across the board with even minor firmware updates coming out here and there. Uh, the other thing that I think is important to remember with the Roadcaster One is that it blew up the market. Like it, it took the market by storm. It created a whole bunch of extra knockoffs, but they were too little, too late for those extra extra um, manufacturers because Road really already captured so much of the people that it was perfect for. A lot of the people you're hearing talk about buying the Roadcaster Pro Two are people who who just decided they want the features of the two and they're they're moving on past the one, which it's not, it, yes, there are new people like yourself getting it, but you see a lot of people moving up and that seems to be the general buzz now is the people. And so that tells me that the road, that if they're willing to just dump such a large amount of audience with the Roadcaster Pro 1, just, just ignoring it altogether, not doing anything else with it without making any announcements, it's probably going to be the succession plan for the rest of the, the units as well. And it's their prerogative to update things as long as they want. Uh, I will I will definitely hold that against them unless all of a sudden I do see see a sign that they are going to keep updating the Roadcaster uh, 1 at some point, even with some form of bug error or something. I'll hold that against them. Now, what you see on the market, it, it's, it's hard to find anything that compares to that. And, and I will fully admit that at some point I probably would get a Roadcaster Pro 2 we will see could possibly wait based off of some of the recent chat that we talked in last episode and this one about some of the bugs. We'll, we'll see. Yeah. I'd always said that I was waiting for, I mean, we talked about it for years on better podcasting about what would be my next step up. And, and this fit many of the needs. The lack of channels was one of the issues that I had with it originally, just looking at the specs, but I was glad to be able to purchase it and I'll be glad to continue to use it until something happens. I don't know. I haven't upgraded to the recent firmware, which is 1.0.8 yet, but I will probably do that in the next month or so. Before you go on to your next thing, the last thing that I want to throw while we're talking about the Roadcaster Pro 2 in there is the sound pad thing. We did actually have um, SP's resurrected beard in, in the chat recently. That was on December 7th said that his does the same thing with the pads when he bumps the desk and the pad is very sensitive on one of them, almost like it's stuck. And he thinks it's a QC quality control issue. So it just wanted to throw that in there. Yeah, I'm, I don't disagree with him. So well, I don't know why it happened, but I don't disagree with that's a possibility. One of the great things that this enabled is I used to have this audio rack on my desk. It was a 4U unit, which had the two DBXs in it, the Behringer, and then a power strip in it. So it was four unit high. And then I had the Behringer mixer on top of it. And then right next to everything up on a stick, I had the Zoom H6. Having this took all of that off my desk. And it was actually for the first time ever to be able to fit three monitors across my desktop. That was evolutionary, revolutionary for me to begin with. Well, about that time, so June, where I was putting this all together, my kids were asking me what I wanted for Father's Day. And Typically, they're like, okay, so you want some gift cards? Where do you want the gift cards to? And I was like, eh, why don't you just do them to Amazon? I'll figure out something that I need from there. 
lo and behold, I figured out what I wanted. It was an ultra wide 34 inch monitor and I got an ultra wide 34 inch 2K MSI monitor on my desk as the central monitor. I'm staring right into it as we're podcasting right now. This has been my single best podcasting upgrade since I started podcasting. I had no idea why I was not taking into account that I needed more space on a central monitor. Now, with the rack the way it was, I wouldn't have been able to put a second monitor over there because the 34-inch monitor would be over to the left so much that I couldn't fit another monitor on my desk because there's a wall over there. So I would have just had the 34-inch monitor. You might say, SP, what do you need three monitors for? I need three monitors because I have a lot of virtual desk space that I put up there and my eyes are kind of bad. So I need to have the print bigger than maybe a younger person would. So yeah, I need more space. This has enabled me when I'm editing to edit faster. This has been a game changer. I am not, I'm not, I'm not blowing smoke over anybody over this. This allows for more tracks top to bottom. It allows for longer tracks left to right. So I'm not constantly scrolling. And the way I edit is I'm listening from front to back and I listen at an accelerated rate somewhere between 1.3 to 1.7 usually is the time that I edit. And this just allowed me to edit faster and it allows me to podcast with more in front of me. So I'm not scrolling around or closing windows and bringing windows back up or anything. It's just a better experience. Yes, it was about $500 at the time, but I had the gift cards from the kids and I had a little saved up from Christmas even the previous year. So I only had to put like $50 into it to get it. And it has been phenomenal. I am so grateful I have this thing. Now, Stephen, I know you have like six monitors and I know you don't have an ultra wide monitor. Would you ever consider getting an ultra wide monitor? I absolutely would. And that might be the thing that's on my next computer upgrade. I don't I don't know that I, I'm ready to spend much more on upgrading anything with my computer. It's only been a couple of years coming up, I guess, to three now in the summer of 2023. But but that is an area. I have a couple concerns. I do work from home and and I use my primary monitors from from home. And so that would mean that I'd be using the ultra wide wide monitor day-to-day with work, which is great. That's fine. I got no problem with that. But when I got to go into the office and whatnot, now I've got to get used to switching down size, which which I'm a little concerned about that. But the other reason I'm kind of jealous, to be honest, about, about you having this is because I just can't imagine how lucky you must feel when you go to your 37-inch monitor and you look up a clip of me. Like, I, I'm just so jealous of you. Yeah, you're minimized on the monitor way on the right, the fourth <laughs> monitor over there, which is actually behind the third monitor. And yeah, that's where you're at. And it's old square, a four by three monitor. It's not. Oh, perfect. I actually have four monitors. Yeah, I actually have four monitors, but on my desk, there's three monitors. And having all this, the Roadcaster Pro 2 plus the three monitors, then I was able to remove that 4U audio rack. And I was able for the first time ever to use monitor risers. So the monitors are at a level that are eye level for me now when I'm sitting down versus me looking down, which was giving me additional neck problems. I have neck problems already, but I was looking down and I could never actually put them up on riser stands because I didn't have enough space with that 4U rack in there. 
So I got 21 inch vintage wood monitor stand risers because I have a wood desk. It kind of fits the motif. It's not the exact fit, but it's close enough for what I have here. And the reason why I went for 21 inch wide ones is now I can undermount some of those rack stuff. So I elected to keep the power strip that I had so I can turn off my wireless router, my modem, if I need to power cycle them for anything. You know, you're working with a ISP and they're saying, well, have you turned your thing off and on again? You're like, well, no. And for me to do that, I would have to climb up on top of the desk because it's on top of the hutch that's right in front of me. It's just how my space is configured. So now I have this power strip and I can just do that. And I was able to find a space for that power strip. I can also turn on and off the studio lights, like the, the actual studio lighting that I have in here. And I have a hard off for the mixer. And then I have the power for the DBX 286Ss as well. If I ever have to reintegrate them, say something happens with this Roadcaster Pro 2 and I have to send it in for an RMA or something like that, a warranty repair. I'm going to have to find another way to record my podcast, maybe get out that uh, that Zoom P4. If I'm doing that, I'm going to want to re-engage the DBX286, kind of like you're re-engaged your DBX286S with the Mixcast 4 for Tascam that you have, Stephen. So I wanted to keep those around in case of emergency. I didn't want to throw them in a box and have to get them out. They're actually undermounted. They're not hooked up. So I would have to plug them in and then run the audio cables behind the monitors, but that would be fine in case of emergency. I'd be fine with that. Can I just say the the, the power buttons are, in the, this reason alone, worth keeping the whole uh, switch array is the fact that, you know, when the family and the kids come back to town for holidays and they just start to grind your gears, you just come in there and you just throw off the Wi-Fi just like that. And, and, you know, make them burn through their dad a little bit. Just show, show them, remind them, I'm dad. I'm still dad. And I will shut off your Wi-Fi. That makes it worth it. Yeah, I've had to shut off Wi-Fi before <laughs> for a couple of reasons. And it's when it, I just haven't been able to yell around the house that I'm shutting this off because it's usually like right before I'm recording a podcast and I'm having an internet uh, problem or whatever. I just shut it off. And, and you know, all of a sudden I hear them walking around upstairs versus watching the TV that they were watching. <laughs> All right. So that is the monitors, the risers, and the Roadcaster Pro. I also, in July, was able to score a Logitech Brio webcam. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But I wanted to increase my camera. I've wanted to do it for a while. But since I spent so much money on the computer and the Roadcaster Pro 2 and the monitor and stuff like that, I didn't really have a lot of money to get a mirrorless camera, 4K camera to stream on or whatever. So I'm like, okay, let's try this webcam. We'll talk about that later. I also, if you have watched the Gonna Geek Gear channel, I actually had to fix the shelf that the boom arm is attached to because it was pulling away from the wall. So if you want to see a funny video, and I will say it's kind of a funny dad video there. If you want to see a funny dad video, I go through how I went about fixing it, correcting it, and it is secure, and I don't think it's going to pull out again. Uh, there would have to be an earthquake for something to happen there, but that was something that I had to do in July, and that brings up my second best podcasting upgrade ever. Didn't realize what I was missing. I got a programmable mouse, and you're like, SP, what does a programmable mouse do? 
but it allows you to edit a lot faster because if there's any repetitive tasks that you're doing while you're editing, you can just click a button on a mouse and as you're using anyway, and you can go ahead and just speed up your editing tremendously. I think I halved the time. So I sped up my editing time with the monitor and then I sped it up again by using this programmable mouse. I got a Logitech G604 program, programmable mouse. There's tons of editing aids and programmable mice and keyboards with keys that you can go ahead and program. There's tons of those out there. I would recommend you find the solution that's going to work for you and then just try it because it's probably going to help you out immensely. It helped me out immensely as well. The between the two of them, I probably cut my editing time by uh, two thirds of what I'm spending editing shows now. So that is a big increase in my productivity between the ultra wide monitor and the programmable mouse. Just incredible. And then we had a big conversation about this whole thing. Uh, we talked about it in a previous episode of Better Podcasting. There was a lot of discussion on our Discord server, betterpodcasting.com slash Discord. And it was just eye-opening to me. I'm like, why didn't I try this earlier? And I think one of the reasons why I didn't want to try it earlier is because I was just using the mouse to simply go around and, and click on things. And now I don't have to move the mouse to click on things. And I'm not using it right now. I'm using another mouse, but this is what it looks like. The Logitech G604. You can see the programmable buttons on the side. There's six of them for you audio listeners. There's six of them on the side. On the top, there's two buttons on the side where your index finger would be. It is a designed right-hand mouse. So if you're left-handed, this might not work for you. But just with those eight programmable buttons, it increased my editing flow incredibly. Do I need more than this right now? I will say no, because I've reached all of the repetitive tasks that I'm doing that I would have to scroll my mouse over for. But uh, in the future, maybe I could increase that or use an editing pad or whatever. Now, Steven, you also have one of these. Are you going to talk about it later? I will. I'll, I'll, come, I'll come back to that because I've already typed it out as an honorable mention. So, you know, I don't want to wreck my own flow, which hasn't happened yet. Okay. <laughs> and then the last thing, which I don't know if I even told Steven about this. I think I did. You did. On November 11th, the Affinity series of graphic design software they were running a sale over the veterans holiday weekend and remembrance day as it's called in canada and i opted to get the package which was the photo 2.0 the publisher 2.0 and the designer 2.0 i've downloaded them i've installed them i have not used them since i'm looking forward to using some of my holiday time to at least open them up and start exploring that realm because i've mentioned it many, many, many times before. Graphic design is my Achilles heel when it comes to podcasting. You might say websites are my Achilles heel as well, but I've run them before. I just don't like to run them. I really need to do some graphic design. I need to have that capability and I just don't. And using the Affinity Design Suite is probably my window into this in the future. So that's all my gear for 2022. Before I get to my gear, I do want to mention I also did the upgrade for Affinity Photo. I've been using Affinity Photo. I've had I've used Affinity Photo and Designer for years, the version one. I've owned Publisher, barely touched it. 
Um, big advocate of it for hobby podcasters. If you're going to do this sort of stuff, it is different than Photoshop and the uh, associated Adobe products, but it's close enough where with a little patience, you can make the switch over and it's a lot more affordable. Um, I have started using 2.0 just because I use I use 1.1 regularly enough. I thought I might as well get into it or not 1.1, 1. 1. whatever it was. And um, I, I have to say, I kind of agree with a lot of the feedback that's been out there saying, I don't know that version two is really that much worth the money at the moment over version one. However, I was still happy to take advantage of the sale because number one, one of the reasons, honestly, why I bought Publisher was because I kind of wanted to dabble in it. But I also thought like, these are so good. I'm happy to support the company. Um, so same idea here. But number two, the writing's on the wall. You're not going to get updates for version one anymore. So you might as well, like, I want to get whatever comes out with two. And I don't want to see a new feature come out and be like, darn, I really wish that I had bought it when it was on sale. So I, I don't know that I've used anything new yet in there, but um, I'm, I'm running a full speed now. And also in our chat, because we do live stream this at Geeks.Live, we do have Damien, the DM that has highlighted the fact that they have extended the uh, price on the software until January. I do want to, nice. yeah, I want to also acknowledge too that Affinity used to only sell the products individually and now they've created a universal license where you get access to all of them for a discounted price. All right, so let's get into my gear here. Let's be honest. Let's start it off honestly. Uh, in our chat, we've even actually had some people point this out. It's been a slow year for me because I haven't been podcasting for most of the year. So this really shouldn't be a surprise, but I have made some changes that I've been excited to talk about on this very show. And I'm going to go through and give a, a bit of a sneak peek for some future discussions that might come up related to these things, because I do want to talk a little bit more in depth about some of these things that I've been doing in recent. And I want to start off going way back to 2021. And, and why I want to go back to 2021 is because there's something that I didn't upgrade at in the second, the latter half of the year before we took our hiatus from uh, Better Podcasting. And it has to do with the mic stand. I, I upgraded to the uh, Elgato Wavearm LP. And I talked a bit about that on this show and the Better Podcasting live chats. But there was something that I had to question about. And it's that on the Wave Arm LP, it's very well, in my opinion, constructed piece of equipment from like a quality perspective, lots of metal. But there was one possible weak point that I wasn't sure about, and it was where the microphone threads on. So so the part that you can actually adjust and pivot the microphone and um, and tighten it down. The, the mic clamp is basically plastic, and I wasn't sure how that would hold out. And last year when I took the hiatus, basically I adjusted it out of my way from the day-to-day -day operations, and I just slid it aside. So I left it here with the microphone on it, and it never moved. The microphone never moved. When I went to pull it back into place to start podcasting, it was right where I left it when I pushed it out of the way as far as that, that piece goes. So I wanted to mention that right now because it was a concern of mine, and I'll be honest, I would have lost that bet. Because it's plastic, I would have thought not a chance will it hold over that, that you know, whatever it was, eight months. But it held, and I was surprised about that. Uh, the next thing that I want to go ahead and mention right now is, is a basic thing. It's it's uh, on-air sign. And the reason I want to give that a little special shout-out is because it's something that I got gifted from my mom last year on Christmas. And I have looked at this thing. I've had it around the studio for a little bit. And I've looked at it a couple times, and it served a bit as a motivation. 
for me to get back into podcasting. So I wanted to get, give a, a little bit of a credit. And some episodes I don't record with it. Some episodes I do. It doesn't light up right now because with the cameras and stuff, the LEDs flicker and stuff. So uh, I, I don't use the light on it, but uh, it's there. And I wanted to give an acknowledgement about it. But here's the big thing. Oh, you got a point? Yeah, the point is I'm so jealous because both you and our co-host Chris over on the Gonna Geek show have on-air signs and I don't. I'm so jealous. <laughs> you know what? I, I think you should just get a piece of cardboard and just write on air. Oh, and, and, and But you need two. You need one that is colored in red and one that is colored in white. And then you'll switch the signs like it's flashing. All right. The next thing I want to talk about is, is one of the bigger changes that I've made with my audio equipment. We'll leave it at that. And that's that I've been using the Mixcast 4 since... I started podcasting and this is something that I'd planned to review over the last year, but it never really happened because it's kind of hard to review something when you're not using it. And for me, I have to say out of the box, pretty impressed overall with it. I have to say that for the some of the price differences compared to what the Roadcaster Pro one was at the time, I think it's a pretty good piece of equipment. I know some people have talked about bugs. I haven't seen that many myself. I'll get to one of them in a minute. That pretty much one of the only ones that I've seen. Um, actually, there's there's a couple, but I'll get to the main one that I've seen in a bit. I have to say, compared to the Roadcaster Pro 1, I think that it is significantly more user-friendly. I think the display is better. I think that the sliders and the buttons and things like that, they feel better. And I think it's easier to navigate around and find the different advanced settings on there. It's also a lot more visually appealing. But with the Roadcaster Pro 1, when you looked at it, didn't visually look that much like the price tag it was. There's a couple LED choices that they've used, and it is entirely a visual thing. And a couple ways that they've laid out that menu that it just looks like a, a, a higher quality piece of equipment. And I got to say, from a physical build perspective, I actually feel like it, it, it feels a little more rugged than the Roadcaster Pro one as well. But with that said, I'm going to actually probably go back to the Roadcaster Pro one. Um, maybe even over the holiday break. And, and there's really a couple reasons why I'm going to do that. Um, the big thing is that um, the Rodecaster Pro 1 has the dual USBs. Uh, the Mixcast 4, I have to run the USB in so that I can send that audio to SP. It's the Mix Minus. So basically, I'm sending him the audio from the board without himself. Because if I sent him the board, the audio from the board with himself, he would hear himself back. And then that's, that's all I get. So I have to take the analog output from the board and feed it into, I'm currently using a, a Behringer UMC202 HD, so that I can now stream and capture that mix down out of the board through the computer. Yes, I'm recording on the board and everything, but the Rodecaster Pro 1, I don't need to do that. I, I get both in one USB channel. And so it means that I, I don't need that. And the other thing that is, I'm going to go back is because there's a, a weird bug that happens, which is when my computer goes to hibernate mode, I have to power off the board and back on. And I, I leave the boards going almost all the time. Um, and it's kind of frustrating, to be honest, where uh, my computer will go to sleep and I'll come back. And it's not all the time, but it is most of the time that I'll have to reboot the board and, and get windows to hear it again so it's something weird with that never ever seen that on the roadcaster pro one and for those couple reasons i think i'll probably go back to the roadcaster 
Pro One. I'm wondering if you ever get a chance to use the Roadcaster Pro 2, if you would think that some of those issues that you just pointed out that are better with the Mixcast than Roadcaster Pro 1 would be solved with the Roadcaster Pro 2. I like the faders that. and stuff and the, uh, the display. I think the display alone, I've never, I've seen one, and I've seen one in use, but I've never actually used it. The Roadcaster Pro 1, I can see how the display is vastly improved with the Roadcaster Pro 2. So maybe that would be something that you would sway more towards the roadside by using a two versus the OG. I could see that for sure. Uh, the other thing I want to mention is, uh, while well, I started to record again, I thought, well, you know what? I'm going to use my dear old friend SP as influence, and I'm going to try to start recording without the DBX286, and I'm going to go into the board. And i got to say, Mixcast 4, I got no problems with the preamps. It sounded great to me. I had no issues whatsoever. Uh, I thought that the controls were better than the Rodecaster Pro 1 as far as finding and adjusting the gain and things like that. But in the end, I went back to the DBX286, uh, and that was just a couple episodes ago. I went back to using that. And the reason why is it's myself. It's not, it's not you, it's me. It's not you, Rode. It's not you, Tascam. It's me. And I have this horrible habit of being super loud and then being super quiet and almost mumbling. And I cannot dial in yet the right software or onboard or plugin set of um set set of presets to mimic what I do with the DBX286S as far as the noise gate goes particularly and also a bit of the compressor. I tried. I really tried and after so many uh, after several episodes of going that is so annoying. I hope the listeners don't get annoyed by this word being cut off or this word sounding like super loud or whatever. I just went, I'm going back to the, using the DBX286S. I know I'll get a more static level. And maybe in the future, I'll, I'll start experimenting with capturing the, um, the raw signal out of the DBX286S. There's a way you can do that. And playing on the side with trying to mimic that because i would like to get rid of the dbx 286s for all the reasons you mentioned for somebody that's probably new to better podcasting or just doesn't understand what the dbx 286s is it is a one channel strip meaning you can plug one microphone in and there's one output to it that will then go into whatever recorder or mixer or audio interface that you're using and it has the ability to put some effects that are live into the stream, like a noise gate. You can put some rudimentary EQ in it. You can add a little bit more bass. And I would actually recommend that you add less bass than you think is necessary. And you have all of those effects that you can dial in with dials. And the other benefit to it is relatively inexpensive in comparison to other things out there prior to the Mixcast 4 or the Rodecaster Pro 2 or even the Rodecaster Pro, which has effects on board. It used to be like the affordable way that hobby podcasters could go about changing their audio to compress it, to noise gate out whatever you've got going on in the house or even add some additional gain because it is a preamp on its own as well. 
what Stephen and I are both talking about is removing those from our setups because it's extra space, it's extra cost. And quite frankly, eventually they're going to go bad. So you're going to have to add in another piece of gear or replace it or, or whatever. So in the constant evolution of keeping and maintaining our setups, we're always looking for, okay, what's next after the DBX286S. But the reason that we had it originally was because it was the only affordable way for hobbyists to actually real-time put some effects into our audio. For sure. Now, the next thing I want to mention is not audio. It's video, and it's the Logitech Brio. Yeah, I did the Logitech Brio as well. This is actually something that's been on my list for a while. I actually even, in 2020, I think it was, maybe 2021, I bought one, and I took it back without even opening it because I just decided that I didn't want to spend the money on it. I could use the money elsewise. But I decided that I did need a better camera for a couple of reasons, including that my C922 is still great. I, I still think the C922 is going to be a great po uh, podcaster or streamer camera. I think that it, it works overall pretty well, but it became a little less clear than I, I had originally had it. And I've noticed this before because I own a couple of them. And I did notice that every time I bought a new one, it looked a little better than the old one with some, that had some time on it. Also did it for interest reasons. I've said it before. I'm a video guy, but I also did it for another very specific reason, which was on the heels of some video and reviewing that SP did of it, which is is the focal point. If, if you look at the C922, subject in the middle, pretty clear. Everything else, a little bit of a haze on it. The Brio SP did some, some videos for me and showed me how it's a little, it's a lot better uh, as far as a background goes. It really clears up the background compared to the C922. It just picks up things a little bit better. And, and he did some good testing and, and I wanted that. And I will come back to that in a minute. But I first want to say thank you, SP, for all that testing. You pushed me over the edge to do it. And um, I'm glad that I did do it. And I do think that there's a lot of people that don't need to do it. I think there's a lot of people that are better to save their money if they're just doing video as a secondary thing. But if you can do it, it is a lot better of uh, a camera for sure. I just want to say in this particular case, this is a great example of why having a podcasting running buddy is so good because... I didn't have the time and the throughput at that particular time to really do a lot of research into the quality of the Brio. So I was like doing it extended over time and Stephen was asking me questions and I was able to send him some quick, quick clips and he was able to say, oh, it's this or, oh, that's this or have you tried this? And then, well, next time I podcast, I will. Or next time I get on my computer, I will. So it enabled me to run the Brio through its paces so much faster just by having Stephen be interested in it and asking me questions about it. Now, this takes me to my, my next point is, is why did I want to change and enhance the, what is being picked up in my background? Well, it's all to do with my video backdrop. In fact, uh, if you didn't know this, I have a video backdrop that has microphones displayed on it. And I, I just switched a couple microphones, right, SB? I just switched, switched two of them around, just, just switched them, right? Yeah. Why don't you, it's, it's the one right next to the blue behind the stocking there. Can you go ahead and, and you, can you grab that for me, yeah, please? Yeah, I'll grab that. I'll grab, grab the, the stocking for you. I'll just grab, grab <laughs> no, the stocking No, no, the, the microphone behind the stocking. Oh, should I grab the microphone? Yeah, no. grab the microphone. No, for the audio listeners, I'm reaching behind me. And the reason I'm reaching behind me and not successfully grabbing the microphone is because I got rid of the backdrop. I actually did. So this is this is something that's been on my list for years is to replace my backdrop. Because when I started better podcasting with SP, 
I wanted to make sure I had a nice visual and I, and I did a little DIY and I'm darn well proud of what I built for very little money, going to Home Depot, picking up some acrylic lighting panels, picking up some wood before you had to sell your house to buy wood and, and putting together a backdrop that is backlit that I could have my microphones and other things on it. But it is a pig and I've talked about that for years. I've been wanting to replace that with something that could could be stored easier. And I finally had enough of it this last summer after not podcasting for a while, after moving it out of my way every time I wanted to 3D print or wanted to do something else. I'm like, I'm done. I'm going to sit on it the day. I'm going to tear it down. I'm going to find another solution when I come back to podcasting. And that's that's what I did. It was like the next day I sent it to be a picture. I'm like, hey, it's gone. It's done. Take it down now. Yeah. And so I got, yeah. I got rid of it. Sad day, but we knew we both knew it was coming. We both knew it was coming for quite some time. As a matter of fact, I'm surprised it took you so long into the year in order to do that, because I, I was just thinking in terms of what I've done to my studio and thinking it was so much better once I was able to open it up and be able to move around a little bit more in it. Because as you might see, that's actually something that I've removed since last year. I don't have my backdrop up anymore either. It's literally the rest of my office back there. And by removing that backdrop, you created a lot of additional space in your office. Absolutely. And so what did I replace it with? Well, if you see my on the video, I have my video backdrop. It's because I'm green screening right now. I started doing green screening for it. And and this is a temporary solution. I, I, I think green screening works for a lot of people if you do it right. Saves you a lot of money, saves you a lot of time. Goes really wrong for a lot of people when they don't do it right. And the thing for me, though, is that it's just so frustrating to have to remove green. I wear geeky clothes when I do Gunna Geek. I have things, other projects that I've made clothes for that use green as a central focal point. I couldn't put out my Christmas lights this year for my display because they have green. And so I want to get rid of it. But in the meantime, while I'm shopping and, and figuring out what I want to do for my next physical backdrop, it's working for me and I'm going to continue doing the green screen for now, but it took time. Luckily, I had the things that I was able to to work with to do some experimenting. I had to add extra light to my studio to best illuminate the back uh, the green screen. I had to makeshift a green screen holder, um, which there'll be a little probably change with that for next year. Uh, I had to put a light behind my chair so that I could properly illuminate behind the chair or it was just a bunch of shadow. I had to put another light up off the hutch that's directly behind me. So it works. I'm actually, I'll, I'll be honest, I, I'm actually pretty happy with overall the way it looks. I didn't think in such a closed space, I'd be able to make the green screen look as okay as it is. But there are so many restrictions, including I said green, but red. If you if you were to pay attention right now to the edge of the, the red Santa jersey, you can really tell. By, uh, if you look at the Prast episode where he's wearing black, not so much. It's just the nature of working with green screens. It's, it offers a lot of problems with physical things that you wear. But for now, it works. And hey, I got rid of the backdrop, which was taking up so much room. Green screen technology has come in a long way since we first started doing better podcasting. I know we've experimenting with it over the course of the years, but neither of us have done it in depth as long as you have over the course of when we brought better podcasting back. So last couple of months, and even though I have looked at it for the past couple of months and, and said, yeah, I realize that's a green screen. It actually is pretty serviceable. And now that the gig is up, 
you can actually throw up additional backdrops onto your green screen yeah. and then start experimenting with more of a, okay, what really works? Do I want a lake back there? Do I want mountains back there? Do I want space back there? Do I want a podcast studio back there or a TV studio, which would probably be more important, more appropriate for you. So yeah, now you can start looking into that and see what works better for you versus what your old backdrop is. And it will be sad to see the old backdrop go, but there's like 250 plus episodes of better podcasting that I could go back and take a look at that shelf and, and remember it fondly. You know what I'll do? I'll, I'm going to spray paint one of my C922s green. I'll put it directly behind me. I'll point it at myself and it'll be like a reverse picture of me. So it'll be like a mirror image of myself live. If you do a mirror universe, do you have to have the evil goatee? Of course, of course. <laughs> okay. Uh, the next couple of things that I want to mention is uh, they're software related. The first is that I've started using for this year OBS instead of XSplit. This is a couple of reasons. One, OBS has changed a lot since I first made the decision to go to XSplit. XSplit is, is something that I chose because at the time that I evaluated getting into video, it worked way better with the hardware that I had at the time. That wasn't my last computer. That was the computer before that, where it just OBS couldn't work for me. And then I just kept with it because there were so many little things here and there that I thought, okay, no, this works a little better for me. This new feature they've added, I want it. And so I stayed with it. But coming back, I thought this is a good opportunity to experiment, put myself into some uncomfortable situations, try new things. And in this case, we're talking a paid verse product versus OBS, an unpaid product. I wanted to be able to give better feedback between the two to you, the audience, because you're a hobby podcaster, and this is something that I want to be able to speak about. And it, it's, yeah, a lot improved over then, and I, I'm okay with it. There are some things I miss about XSplit, but for now, that's where I'll leave the conversation, other than the fact that the second reason is the green screening worked a little better for me with OBS as well. But that was sort of a secondary factor because I could have made it work with XSplit, but overall, it was a little bit better. There is a couple things that's a little bit better with XSplit. In my opinion, the green screen ghosting that you get with movement was far better on XSplit. It was very minimal compared to what it is with OBS. But overall, just a better, better overall green screen plugin, I felt. I'm glad you made this jump because I've been, I'm on the quarterly XSplit plan. So every quarter I pay like 25 bucks or something like that. I've been thinking about getting rid of it, but I'm like, eh, do I really want to get rid of it because that'll force me onto OBS. And and with your experimentation, I'm like, well, maybe I should give that a shot. So we'll see what 2023 brings for me between OBS and XSplit. And then the second thing software-wise that I want to mention is I started using DaVinci Resolve instead of Vegas Pro. We've talked about this for a while. Both of us have used Magic's products. That's the company that owns Vegas Pro. And before that, they used, they made a light version of it called Movie Studio. This is something that they bought from Sony years and years and years ago. And we both used, used that. But uh, we've had some people mention DaVinci Resolve before, and I wanted to check it out. And there was two real things that for a long time I was saying can't do it without, without them having these features. And one of them was stretching audio clips. And one of them was FLAC, F-L-A-C audio. The first was fixed a couple of years ago. And then in the last year or so, they actually added the support for flag audio. So for this, this made this a possibility for me. Well, I also got really tired of the problems that have been coming up with Vegas Pro. These are something that SP have made no, and I have made no secret about, which is that 
there's rendering problems sometimes with Vegas Pro. There's crashing sometimes with Vegas Pro. And I'll be honest, I don't think it's getting any better. I think it's getting worse, especially with modern hardware. So I thought this is a good opportunity to jump in and try DaVinci Resolve. Again, I hope to talk more about this in the future, but I will say this. I am making the jump for most of my day-to-day activities to DaVinci Resolve. And did I mention DaVinci Resolve, the version I'm trying right now is free? Yes, it is free. There's a free version of it. Don't know if that will last forever. They've had it free for a long time, but you never know. Uh, There is a paid version available. And one day, uh, so far from what I'm seeing, I think I will likely go to the paid version. But DaVinci Resolve, the free version has been working for me. There's far less crashing. It's a lot more stable experience. But there are things that I don't like about it compared to Vegas Pro. And one of the things I don't like is the layout of DaVinci Resolve to me is very different than other video editors that I've tried. For my day job, I use Premiere Pro. Bouncing between Vegas Pro and Premiere Pro, very similar. There's some other audio or video editors out there that I feel are also similar. But DaVinci Resolve does some weird layout things and they do some weird organizational things that I don't get. I don't understand it when the caliber that they're looking at is not a consumer editor. That's not what they're trying to be. They're trying to be a more advanced editor. I don't know why they've done these weird things. But I actually am willing to put aside that issue because it is a lot more stable experience. I've got some more experimenting to do. There's a couple things that I still can't find equal comparisons for compared to Vegas Pro. There's a couple extra steps I need to do during the editing process. But overall, it's going to win me over just from the stability alone. And I look forward to seeing if there are some some patches for those holes that I'm seeing at this time. But I will say it's not perfect. There is an, a saving bug that has long stood on DaVinci Resolve. And the first DaVinci Resolve project that I ever did, I fell victim to it. Got to get it all done. Went back to make a change with it. And my project was gone because it didn't save right. And so I looked and I Googled and it's a longstanding issue. But now I know what to look for. I know to keep an eye on a certain part that indicates whether or not it is saved. And even though I've hit Command S or Control S, I should say, even though autosave should be on, I need to just double check to make sure that actually saved. So uh, there, there is that bug. There's probably other ones that'll come across as well. One of the reasons why I wanted to upgrade my computer was because Vegas was crashing a lot. And I thought getting the new computer would be saving me from Vegas crashing. Not so much. Vegas still crashes. It still has its quirks. If you haven't turned off certain things on a video stream, it will crash. If you have some tracks with nothing in it that aren't muted, it will crash. So there's just certain things that you get to know about Vegas that will happen if you don't have the correct things on there. And then if you've been using it for a long time, like if you had it open for days, like sometimes I do when I'm editing a little bit at a time, eventually it will crash. The other thing with Vegas that is an issue that I have is if I've been editing for a while and then render, none of the audio effects will actually make it into the render. So I actually have to close the program down, bring it back up, bring down, bring up a fresh render of the project and then render that and the audio effects will make it into the final. So some of the things that we've been dealing with Vegas. So I'm up for trying something else. If DaVinci Resolve is it, you know, go with that. If it's free, you know, so much the better. I won't have to pay for Vegas anymore. But yeah, the Vegas isn't the end all be all. 
It was simply something that both Stephen and I had found that was reasonable to use for a hobbyist. And yes, we would have to pay for it, but it was reasonable. And so I've been using that. I, I will continue to use it for now. But yeah, there are, it's not the panacea. There are still some things that are issues with it. And you touched on one thing that I did want to make sure to mention as well, which is that when we started using it, they did have that Magic's Movie Studio that I mentioned, which was was very well equipped. I did some very advanced things with it. But then a couple of years ago, we talked about it on this show. Um, they ended up doing a change. They, they Magic's decided that they're going to replace Movie Studio without real much announcement with a different product. And the way that that went down, I think it was episode 259, we talked about the specifics. I, I have a little issues with the business practice that they did with that. And so that that caused me some thoughts as well. And the last, right. last thing that I want to honorable mention, the, the mouse thing. I'm going to mention it now. I made the keyboard change. We've talked about it on the show. But I do want to say I started as of the most recent couple better podcastings. I switched away from the stream deck being my hotkeys situation to the mouse. And it is far better. It is a far better experience. It is much closer to what I felt when I had the row of hotkeys on my old keyboard that I've talked about that I've missed with the editing. It's just the stream deck having it a little bit away, not on something that I'm already using. It just felt so slow. And moving back, moving to the mouse, my hand's already on the mouse. I love it. I'm so glad you mentioned it. I don't know why I didn't think of it sooner. I appreciate that you brought it up. You made me look like a fool. And I can gladly look like a fool to say I never thought of it, but it's working for me. With that said, I am coupling it with the stream deck because I'm coupling it with the stream deck because like you said, there's six buttons. Maybe there's more than six things and there's some more advanced things that I'm not going to use all the time. Might as well throw them on the stream deck and just have them sitting there where it's something that's going to save me time when it comes up but I don't need it on one of those six buttons. So I'm going to use the two together. Yeah, and this is another case where having a podcasting running buddy is beneficial because somebody else might say, hey, I want to do this and start doing that and then say to you, I've been doing it this way. And you're like, I never thought of it before. How's it working? It's working great. Okay, maybe I'll try it. Oh, this is the best thing ever. And that's part of listening to better podcasting anyway. If you're a listener of better podcasting, if you come up, with something that you think other hobby podcasters can benefit from. We want to hear from you about it so that we can share it with our audience and maybe even selfishly implement it ourselves so we can get a better experience out of our passion podcasting. Now, before we get to a quick better podcasting download, before we close down the episode, we did ask people about some of the gear changes that they had made over the year. And we had a couple of people respond. Jason M. Bryant said, I bought the Roadcaster Pro 2 into I I brought the Roadcaster Pro 2 into the fray and eCam Live for video and backup recording. We also had Podtastic Audio say picked up a Roadcaster Pro 2. Seems and, to be a common thing. And also Josh Liston said, I recently added the Acon Digital D Reverberation 3 plugin, and it is immaculate. There was also a message that we had from the Chris and Christine show, right, SP? Yeah, also podcastic audio uh, host there. And he said three different recording studios, K2 Studios, which is a normal studio, Studio B, bedroom, Studio D, design room. And thanks to the MacBook and the Zoom PodTrack P4, I can podcast from anywhere. And yes, you can. That's a great 
and set up right there, a great audio and podcasting setup right there. The MacBook, especially if you're the M1 or M2 MacBook and the podcast, PodTrack P4. It's great pairing right there. And I want to give a special shout out there. Thanks for including a photo. We loved it. It's awesome. <laughs> a lot of love in that photo. That's for <laughs> sure. Uh, she is a wedding, uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, a, a wedding uh, person that uh, helps other people with their wedding, planner? wedding coordinator or whatever. Uh, wedding planner. Yeah. So they talk about that all the time on their podcast. So if you have some gear changes you made, we'd love for you to get in touch with us. Email podcast at betterpodcasting.com or go ahead and come over to our Discord at betterpodcasting.com slash Discord. This is the Better Podcasting Download. So over on Bumper, which is a podcast consulting sort of company, and they have a website, wearebumper.com. There's a blog over there. And one of the articles that they did just a couple of days ago is on their blog says, should my podcast take a holiday break? Here's what the numbers say. And they teamed up with Simplecast to get some of the Simplecast stats and as well as teaming up with other episodes, other podcasts out there to get their downloads out there. And basically, I won't go into detail about it. You can go to their blog and you can see all of their wonderful year-long graphs that show what the downloads and listening are throughout the years. But you'll see a noted downcrease in December. It picks back up in January, but there's a noted downcrease in December. And at the end of the article, there's some summary recommendations on there. So if you decide to release podcast episodes in late December, know that one, it is a quieter, less crowded time of the year. So you'll have less competition because there's less podcasts out there. Two, your downloads will likely soften a bit. So you get less downloads. And three, actual consumptions will likely be lower than other times of the year. And Stephen, I think the two of us can look at our podcasting history and all our podcasting stats. And the two of us would echo that this is probably an experience that other hobby podcasters are going to run into. I was really happy when you found this because there has been some individuals that have, have said elsewise and theorized elsewise. And and they've indicated that things went up because they they it was often based off the fact that people are getting new tech and they're trying new things and they're they're getting a phone and now they see podcasts or they're getting a device. I think at the time it was they're getting a new MP3 player and they they want to check out some podcasts and this happens over the holidays and whatnot. And I always struggled with it because I didn't see it because I, I for myself nor self and this is just anecdotally two of us. We're both so busy during the holidays to do any of that. And and then we talk around our community and, and nobody ever had issues with us taking breaks. And they're like, yeah, we're taking breaks too. And and none of none of our direct contacts really saw any huge negative impact or big pushback or anything like that. And it never really lined up to me. And and I'm not saying that, you know, this stats are definitely better than other ones, but I'm just saying this is other information to consider. That points elsewise. And as a hobby podcaster, if you've been on the fence because you want to keep producing, but you've heard other facts that have said you should keep producing, but you're fighting this battle between balancing the holidays and podcasting, I think this should push you to not podcast during the holidays and, and make your life a little bit easier. If you need that time for yourself to do elsewhere, do it. If you need that time to keep connected with your podcasting co-host and they have the time, do it because some people do 
like the con- con- uh, connection that they get through their podcast. But you got to do what's best for you. And that's that's my general takeaway. And I, I like this information because I think that it gives some weight to those who are on the fence, but maybe should lean towards taking a break. Yeah, I know. I was thinking about this even before I ran across this article. I've been thinking about next December, I'm going to throttle back even more than I have this year because even with throttling back as much as I have this year versus in previous years, that I found myself getting behind with my podcasting, maybe perhaps not enjoying it as much as I should have, just because there's so much other stuff going on. And it's combined with the fact that unlike other places, this is a very busy time of the year for me at work. It is my busiest time of the year for me at work. Maybe if I didn't have that work pressure on me that I would find podcasting a little bit more easier to do, more easier, easier to do in December than it has been. But I just know that as long as I keep the doing what I'm doing uh, for a real-time job, and as long as I'm doing this hobby podcasting stuff and I am a family is inevitably, hopefully going to grow. I mean, I've got one daughter that's married and you know what happens after you get married, eventually start getting grandkids, not all the time, but sometimes you get grand. I think that's what their plan is to have kids. So my holiday time is going to be more and more taken up for family things, even bigger than it is now. So yeah, I am going to make a concerted effort next December to throttle back even more than this December. And I was making that decision even before I ran across this article. And this article is just convincing me even more. If your audience is going to be taking a break from listening to you, then it seems natural that, okay, I'm going to use that time and take a break for myself. So if you have any thoughts on this, we'd love if you get in touch with us. You can email podcast at betterpodcasting.com. You can find us on our Discord at betterpodcasting.com slash Discord. We have a Facebook. It's facebook.com slash betterpodcasting. Or you can go ahead and tell SP, hey, these are my thoughts because I'm going to encourage you to take a break as I'm yelling at you outside your house saying, hey, I love your Christmas display. It looks awesome. I'm so glad you replaced those Christmas lights. Yeah. A little inside Christmas, knowledge there. <laughs> Christmas lights were Yeah, we'll we'll talk about that in the post show. <laughs> uh but it was one of the things that was on his list that he had to do for December. That's what I was getting at. Anyways, we would love to hear from you, but we will be away again next week. So just keep that in mind. And we hope that you come back in the new year. And I want to give a special shout out here to everybody who has supported me over the last year. It really was a hard back for me to come back to podcast this year. And I'm just going to say that right here, clear as day, there was a point in 2022 that I didn't think I was coming back to podcast in 2022. I didn't think it was going to happen. And so as I'm wrapping up my my return to podcasting for the year, I've, I'm reflecting on things. And there's a lot of people that help support me going through this. And SP, you are absolutely one of them. And and one of the biggest ones that that absolutely have helped me through all of this. And I want to thank everybody who has just because without that support and guidance, I, I probably would have been a little bit scared, scared to come back in a different capacity, scared that what if I come back and I go, I, I can't do this for a while and, and I got to stop again. But everybody was really supportive. And, and so thank you, everybody who did that. 
I'm glad I'm hobby podcasting again. It is a hobby I enjoy. It's a hobby I still love to do. There's other things that I do want to tackle into 2023, but I wouldn't be back if it wasn't for all the support I received. So thank you very much. And it was a community effort to support Stephen. It wasn't just me. It wasn't just the behind the scenes of Gonna Geek. It was a community support. I know many of you kept contact with Stephen while he was on hiatus, and that helped him out a lot. I know many of you had to refrain yourselves from bombarding Stephen from time to time, including myself. And that's difficult for you when you're, you, you just want to help the person along and they just need some space. So I want to thank everybody for understanding that Stephen needed space because that's pretty much what enabled him to come back. If you didn't give him space, he wasn't going to come back. And it wasn't a, a, a defiance thing or anything. He just needed the time for himself. And I can respect that. It's probably going to happen to me eventually too. So I'm looking forward to being supported by the community in that case. Uh, as we end, Stephen, I do want to have a final thought as well. At the end of 2021, I said, the one thing that I want to change about my studio in 2022 is my microphone. And I have to say, the one thing that I didn't change about my studio was my microphone in 2022. So there's a lot of microphones out there nowadays that weren't out there just even three years ago. 2023 might be a good year to start testing some of those. I thought you were about to pull out the RE20. I I, I really thought you were, I got to say. <laughs> no, no, spent too much money. Have to spend money on Christmas presents for the family. No RE20 this year. I would gladly take one if somebody's going to give one to me. But no, no RE20. I, that will probably be the first one that I, I go for. So it might only be the RE20 in 2023. But I meant when I said there are a lot of good microphones that have come out for podcasters in the past three to five years, specifically three years, that I am willing to give a shot to. So we'll see how that all goes. So that's going to go ahead and do it for episode 268 of Better Podcasting. I'm Stephen John Drew saying, yep, the jig's up. We've revealed that it's a green screen. Now I get to start having fun. I think SP's face is up first. <laughs> Thank you, everybody, for sticking with us in 2022. We look forward to you in 2023, and we want to hear from you. How's your hobby podcast going? See you guys next year. Bye. Bye. Happy holidays. Thanks for checking out another episode of Better Podcasting. You can find the full back catalog of Better Podcasting at betterpodcasting.com. If you're into geeky podcasts, Please check out the other podcasts on the Gunna Geek Network at gunnageeknetwork.com. This show was produced and edited by Stephen John Drew of Gunna Geek Productions. Voice work was done by L.W. Salinas. Thanks again for listening or watching, and we hope to see you again next week.